Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given us to take in your word. I pray, Father, that uh, you might continue to bless this local assembly and, and those who are listening online. And we thank you, Lord, for that great provision. We pray, Father, that you might continue to bless the believers through the consistent teaching of the word of God. Give me strength, Father. Pray the Spirit of God might recall the things I've studied. I pray that the believers here might continue to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's to him be all praise, honor, and glory in Christ's name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're continuing that passage in uh, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 24. Most assuredly say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now we're studying that last phrase, has passed from death into life. Literally, we could translate that, has passed from a state of death into a permanent state of life. So we're going to deal with the issue of life and death, life and death. And normally we think of life and death in physical terms, but we're going to look at it in spiritual terms. Spiritual terms. Um, as I've taught before, in the, the Bible clearly teaches that um, you inherit a sin nature at birth. And because of that, you're born spiritually dead. A child is born separated from the Holy God because of Adam's nature. Because of transmitted sin... An individual is born separated from a holy God, and that is why we need the new birth, the second birth. We need eternal life, so we need God's life in order to go to heaven because we are alienated from God and separated from God, and that's why Jesus Christ came and died as our substitute to give us eternal life by faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So death, by the way, is pictured in various elements in the Word of God. And there's various uh, aspects to death. At the root meaning, and this doesn't fit necessarily in every occurrence, but in the majority of the occurrences when we look at the word death, we have the basic idea of separation. The basic idea of separation. And that's an easy way to picture death, whether physical or spiritual or eternal death. Death is separation in some aspect. Um, And therefore, we have the idea of physical death and we're dealing with physical death normally is probably the best the the easiest concept to understand as far as when people think of death they think of physical death and death is simply the separation of the soul from the body and by the way why do people physically die you might look at well they had a health condition they were in a car accident they were da 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 And those might be external causes, but the real reason why we experience death is because of the fall. Going back to the fall of Adam. Dying you shall die. When Adam partook of the fruit of the tree, he experienced spiritual death, and he started to die. He started physically to decay, and eventually died physically. So physical death comes because of the fall of man. And we see that in Romans 5.12, the air is tense. Death has passed upon all. For all Aristotle sinned in Adam. So that is imputed sin. Because of imputed sin, people die physically. Because of inherited sin, people are spiritually dead. 
So understand the distinction between the two. So physical death is simply the separation of the soul from the body. At the point of physical death, your soul departs uh, either to be with the Lord or if you're an unbeliever to Hades, and the body is separated. You look at a corpse uh, at a funeral, and that individual is not moving, it's not animated, there's no physical life. But that person doesn't cease to exist. That person continues to exist. Whether with the Lord as a believer or in Hades uh, right now as an unbeliever. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's look at that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 7 and 8. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, yes, we're pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Notice how physical death is described for the believer. To be absent from this body is where? To be present with the Lord. There is no such thing as soul sleep. The metaphor of sleep in regard to death, as Paul used in 1 Thessalonians, is referring to the body. The body is pictured as if it were sleeping. When you look at a dead body, it looks like if someone is resting or sleeping. So that metaphor refers to physical death for the believer. But to be absent from the body as a believer, you are face to face with the Lord immediately upon physical death. So there's no soul sleeping at all. We even know for the unbeliever that in Luke 16, the unbeliever was in Hades at the point of physical death. So you continue to exist after physical death. The soul separates from the body. And for the born-again believer, that body that goes back to dust as promised by the way in the original judgment after the fall to dust it shall return the body was taken from dust God created man out of the dust of the ground breathed into his nostril the breath of lives and man became a living being Uh, that body will one day decay that one body will one day go back to the dust and apart from the rapture uh, we all face death it's appointed unto man once to die and after that's at the judgment. Now, I've always said about that passage in Hebrews that the rapture is the exception to the rule. The rapture is we will uh, rob death of its victory. And I think that's what we see in First Corinthians. Let's take a look at First Corinthians 15. This great rapture passage. Um, he says... Um, uh, when this verse 54 so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O Hades where is your victory and that can be true also of the resurrection body we will have victory over death just like, like our savior the Lord Jesus Christ now we have spiritual death which is the condition of man being separated from God, spiritually speaking. So a person can be physically alive and spiritually dead. And we think about, uh, you know, around Halloween, you think of the night of the living dead and all those things. I don't encourage you to, you know, meditate on horror horror stuff. But, you know, we think about individuals who are uh, dead men walking. And so in the spiritual sense, this is true. Unsaved people are separated from a holy God. They need life. They need eternal life. 
And therefore, because of an inherited old sin nature, you're separated from God, spiritually speaking. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 is the classic passage on spiritual death. Ephesians 2, 1. And you he had made alive. Now that was added for clarity by the translators, but that phrase made alive is actually further down in the text in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So it, it, it makes the translation more readable, but the idea is you were dead. You were dead. The one who is in trespasses and sins. You were dead in that condition. You were separated from a holy God before you were born again. But God, verse 4. And now we are saved by grace through faith, and you're raised up together and made alive in him you have spiritual life so we do have death and life in that passage as well in ephesians 2 so spiritual death is a separation of man from god this is why we need the gospel uh, to give us life our basic need is eternal life third eternal death now if you continue to reject the gospel and refuse to believe in christ as your savior you will be separated from a god from a holy god for all eternity all eternity we see that in revelation chapter 20 let's look at that passage revelation chapter 20 verse 12 through 15 i saw the dead small and great stand before god and the books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books I think they are to determine degrees of punishment, not because they were saved by works. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up the dead who were in them. That shows that the Hades compartment, where the body goes at the point of the death of the unsaved, that's a place of temporal judgment, as in Luke 16. Their, their soul, or excuse me, their soul is taken from Hades, and their body is resurrected. So we had the reunion of the body and the soul to stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment. So the Hades compartment is emptied out and they stand before God, body and soul. So the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades were delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, showing that the uh, permanent place of judgment is not Hades, but the lake of fire. Jesus equates that with Gehenna hell. Gehenna hell. And you can reference uh, Matthew 5 and so forth. He mentions uh, hell several times in the Sermon on the Mount as Gehenna hell, eternal separation from a holy God. The lake of fire, another term for hell. This is the second death. Notice the second death. Meaning that these individuals were separated from birth from God spiritually. Now, because of rejecting the gospel, they are eternally separated from God. And they give the, they, God gives them their desire. They don't want God in their life. They want nothing to do with the gospel. God allows this to continue throughout eternity. So just as spiritual death does not mean that that person ceases to exist... So spirit, so the second death doesn't mean that that person ceases to exist. Understand that. That person will continue in a state of eternal separation from the living God. 
And that condition is called death. Think about that. So death is not the cessation of existence. There's some who teach annihilationism by that, that terminology. Uh, but that terminology does not teach that that person will be annihilated in the lake of fire. That simply teaches that they will be eternally separated from the Holy God, just like they were separated physically, or separated spiritually from the Holy God, even while they were physically alive. They will be eternally separated from the Holy God. And that's why it's called the second death. Then we have carnal death. If you're a born-again believer, you will not face the second death by the way. Why? Because you have everlasting life when you believe the gospel. But you will have, you will not enjoy your Christian life in rebellion against God. You can live in the arena of death as a born again believer. Think about that. Um, And so when a believer exists in carnal death, that believer is uh, in out of fellowship with God. So he's separated from what, in this sense? Separated from fellowship. So we have physical death, separation of the soul from the body, spiritual death, separation from man from God, eternal separation of man from God, eternal death, and then carnal death is the separation of the Christian from fellowship with God. So carnal death, the separation of the believer from fellowship with God, but not union with God. We are in Christ And that does not change. Our union with Christ does not change. Our communion with Christ does. We're not in communion. We're not in fellowship with Him. Top circle, bottom circle. Great picture of this distinction here. Romans chapter 8. Several examples on carnal death. Again, this is in the classic section on sanctification. Uh, This Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded, the word means fleshly, fleshly minded is what? Death. Fleshly thinking is death. Think about that. To be carnally minded is death. So what do you set your mind upon? Death or life? To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, think on these things, whatever things are lovely, pure, virtuous, Think on the scripture, the word of God. To be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Life and peace. Now, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Guided by your old sin nature. But if you live by the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. That is life. I think it's the abundant life for the born again believer. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Ephesians 5, 11. The Bible addresses a believer and he says this. Paul says this in Ephesians. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't have anything to do with the non-productive unbeliever as far as his activities. Fellowship means agreement, harmony doesn't mean that you'll never be around unsaved people but you don't get involved in what they get involved in you don't go where they go and engage in what they engage in 
You can still be a light and a testimony to them without getting involved in them. Jesus, perfect example. He ate with publicans and sinners. That was one of the accusations. You eat with publicans and sinners. Why? Yeah, I'm around them. So I can give them the gospel. So I can be an example of showing God's character. Um, Obviously, we're around the lost. We can't separate ourselves from the lost. But we are not to get involved in what they get involved in. To have agreement. To be buddy-buddy. A friend of this world is enmity with God. Whoever will be a friend of this world is at odds with God. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Those things that they practice is not productive. It's not beneficial. But rather expose them. And how does that how do we expose them? By the light. Verse thirteen says, All things that are exposed are made manifest or revealed by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. The light of the word of God. The light of your Christian testimony exposes the darkness. And that's why even in uh, what John 1, men, they didn't receive the love of the, 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 the truth of God's word because they loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Their deeds were evil. Let's go. Let's take a look at verse 14 then. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep. Now what kind of sleeping is he referring to here? Physical sleeping? No, I don't think so. I think he's referring here to carnal indifference to the things of God. Carnality. And so indifference to the things of God is pictured in the terms of being asleep. I could care less about biblical truth. And therefore he's exhorting these uh, Christians to awake out of that stupor. Awake you who sleep and arise from the deadheads. <laughs> that's, that's my uh, expanded translation. Arise from those who are in carnal death and Christ will give you light. Didn't say light there, he'll give you light. He will give you light, the light of his word. And once we own up the wrongdoing we're, and then we're positive to the teaching of the word of God, God can now teach us and then we can walk in the light as he is in the light in 1 John 1. So we need to, uh, to raise out of, wake out of carnal indifference. And then uh, Ephesians chapter 4, ver, or excuse me, 5 verse 18. 5 verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. Uh, let alcohol abuse or intoxication control you. Substance abuse. I think there's application here as well to drug usage. And uh, anything that controls your thinking, substance, whatever it is, instead of the Word of God, and that's, that's sinful. So we don't, we're not to allow substances to control our thinking. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Leads to all other sinful activities, by the way. But be what? Controlled or filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit controls us when we're walking in obedience to His Word. We're not quenching the Spirit. We're not grieving the Spirit. Chafer listed three conditions to being filled with the Spirit. It's not speaking in tongues. That's not a condition to being filled with the Spirit. It's the fact that we're walking in fellowship. We're grieving not the Spirit. Personal sin grieves the Spirit. We're not quenching the Spirit. We're allowing the Spirit to guide and direct us. And we're walking in dependence upon the power of another. 
We're not trying to live the Christian life in our own strength. Walk by means of the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Those are the three conditions to be Spirit-filled. So we have to make sure that we're not engaged in personal sin, controlled by the old sin nature. We want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit will produce what? Fruit. And once we're controlled by the Spirit of God, we're walking in dependence upon Him, the Spirit will produce through us love, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. There's some byproducts of being Spirit-filled. One day, I'll maybe I'll list the various byproducts of being Spirit-filled. What does a Spirit-filled Christian look like? Not like what you think. Oh, he's doing that. He's Spirit-filled. I'm Spirit-filled. No, I might just be, I might just have a happy day and I'm being just enjoying whatever. Doing that kind of thing doesn't mean you're Spirit-filled. Is your church Spirit-filled? You know, I've ever heard that. Are you a Spirit-filled church? I said, well, I don't know. I don't know people's hearts. Maybe some are Spirit-filled. Maybe some aren't. I can't tell whether they do this or that. If you're sitting down, you're not Spirit-filled. So, you know, <laughs> that's not being Spirit-filled. And Spirit-filled produce, Spirit-filling produces godly character, godliness. That's at the root of it. You want to boil it down to the root of it. If I'm controlled by the Spirit, you'll see through me, not necessarily this. Now, I may be Spirit-filled while I'm doing this, by the way. You know, but that doesn't mean I'm Spirit-filled. But if you see love through me, agape love, if you see joy through me, if you see peace through me, if you see long-suffering toward other believers, if you see kindness, if you see patience manifested in me, those are outward manifestations of being controlled by, internally, the Holy Spirit. That's what spirit-filled believers look like. Love for the Word of God. Another evidence of spirit-filling. And there's several evidence of spirit-filling. It's not emotionalism. It's godly character. Christ-likeness. Now, let's take a look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6. Here's an example of an individual um, who is living a life of pleasure. And the Bible says this individual who lives in sinful pleasure is what? Dead. She who lives in pleasure, controlled by desires of the flesh, sinful pleasure, we could say, is what? Dead. While she lives. While she physically is alive. Dead. Dead. Uh, Let's look at uh, Luke 15. Luke 15, verse 24. Parable of the prodigal son. Now, we're all familiar with this parable, and most people interpret it as, well, here's a lost person coming to faith in Christ, but I don't think that's what he's saying. Lewis Berry Chafer speaks of it as a believer out of fellowship long term and comes back. And and his old, um, you know, they, they had wire, they tape, uh, you know, messages in the 40s, I think, by wire. And then they, you know, put them on another device. They had uh, reel-to-reel players as well. But then they had a dial seminary that had a cassette library taken from Chafer's teaching. And I remember listening through the Spiritual Life series. He would, he would present a at chapel every year lessons on the Christian Christian living spiritual life series and it was great but he, he spoke about this passage he was preaching one time at a, at a uh, evangelistic service 
And there was an individual who came forward, and apparently this individual was a believer, but for 20 years he was living you know, in carnality. And he came back. He spoke on the prodigal son in the sense that he was a believer out of fellowship. And God used that message to convict this believer who was living in carnality. Um, great, great lesson. Uh, but Luke chapter 15, verse 24, We here we have a son, and I always say this, he was a son when he left the house. <laughs> he was a son in the pig pen. And he was a son when he returned. But he was a son not enjoying the fellowship of the father. Think about that. He wasn't a son enjoying the full benefits of a household. And therefore, he was out in the world system living for pleasure, living for self. And he was a dead individual, carnally. Now, look at this. When he came back, the father said this, For this my son was dead. Oh, he was physically alive, right? But he was living in carnal death. And is alive again. He was lost, not lost as far as eternal life, but he wasn't guided by the Spirit of God, and is found. And they began to be merry and rejoice. Remember, David spoke about, Restore to me the what? Joy of my salvation. In verse 32, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, he told the elder brother, for because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was dead, but now he's back alive. And was lost and is found. So wonderful when a believer comes back to the Lord being out of fellowship, living in the world. As long as you're alive, there's still opportunity to do that. And the Lord's merciful and gracious. So, but don't live in that spirit of death. There's nothing down that road or trail for you. Let's talk about uh, positional death. Positional death refers to our identification with Christ and His death. So, how are we to live the Christian life? We have to realize, first of all, that our sin nature was judged, not eradicated. Very important distinction. Our sin nature was judged. And when we believe in Christ, we experience co-crucifixion. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. There was a judgment rendered against the old sin nature that we need to practically apply in our life. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. He didn't say reckon your sin nature to be dead. But you are dead to it. Very important distinction. Uh, Positional death refers to reckon on our identity in Christ in the sense that I don't have to live in the flesh because Christ judged my sin nature and has given me power over it. And therefore, I don't have to live in carnal death. I could walk in what Paul said here, newness of life. Let's take a look at Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Away with the thought. How shall he who died to sin live any longer in it? There was a judgment rendered when Christ died. Chafer said it's one of those aspects of Christ's death. We, always, we think about his substitutionary death. Christ died for our sin. But there's a second aspect. He died unto sin. He judged the sin nature so that believers can walk in the newness of life. 
And that affects our sanctification, our godly living. I think the argument here is, now you receive grace, now don't go out and live like the devil. You know, you hear people say that, well, I believe in eternal security, I'd go out to the bar, I'd live it up, and why do you want to do that? There's no life in that. <laughs> why do you want to do that? No, we can live in true life. He calls it the newness of life. Look at uh, let's read down verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. When Christ died, we died. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk. This say we would walk, but we should walk in newness of life. A new quality of life as a believer. Living the godly life. Living the abundant life as a born-again believer. Having the Spirit produced through you. That's true living. And that's made available because of our identification with Christ. We are identified with His death. We are identified with Him in burial. We are identified with Him in resurrection. We are identified with Him in His um, in, uh, in crucifixion and resurrection. I have a uh, the verse 5. Look at this. If we have been united together in the, His likeness of His death, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. It's almost like when Christ died, I died as well. That sin nature was judged. That the body of sin, meaning the sin, the body that's controlled by the sin nature, might be, that word done away with is unfortunate, we could translate it, rendered inoperative. The sin nature never, ever is eradicated. We know that, by the way. As a matter of fact, if you say that you have finally reached a place in your Christian life where you have no sin nature, 1 John chapter 1 says you are a liar. Right? You're liar, liar, pants on fire. 1 John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and Bible doctrine is not circulating in your stream of consciousness. Okay, His word is not in us. We don't have a knowledge of Scripture. The Bible does say that we still have, uh, we still personally sin. And then verse 8 says that we say we have no sin, meaning we eradicate our sin nature, we deceive ourselves. We're in self-deception. But what we can say, though, the Bible emphatically in Romans 6 says that the sin nature has been judged. And the mastery over the flesh has been broken in the sense that that sin nature cannot demand and control you. Now, it can make demands all day long, but it cannot force you to sin. Understand that. Uh, The devil cannot make me sin. The world cannot make me sin. And the flesh cannot make me sin. Some people say, well, well, I'm just, you know, I'm always struggling with the flesh, and so I'm just going to throw up my hands. You're like Paul in Romans 7, right? Good that I would do, I'd do the opposite. That's not the normal Christian life. Oh, wretched man that I am, I'm going to be frustrated. I can't do nothing about it, so just whatever. That's not how. We have to realize the way to Christian living is by understanding our identity in Christ. Position. And the man or person that you were, you are no longer. Understand that. I'm no longer who I was uh, as an unsaved individual. 
I have been crucified with Christ. And this is powerful truth here in Romans 6. Um, So the sin nature was judged so that we would no longer, and here's the key issue at the end of verse 6, that we should no longer be what of sin? Slaves of sin. I don't have to be a slave. Now, certainly, I can be a slave of sin. It doesn't mean that uh, a believer will never ever be controlled by the sin nature. I can be a slave of sin. I don't have to be. So I should no longer be a servant of sin. Just like the unsaved. The unsaved person has no option. The unsaved person is controlled by the old sin nature. The unsaved person is minus a new nature. The unsaved person is minus the Holy Spirit. Understand that. Now, he may do religious things, but that's not pleasing to God. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. Romans 3 makes it very clear. They keep on falling short of God's glory. They, they are not, their good works is not accepted by God. They're like filthy rags in God's eyes. But for us as believers, the power of the slavery of being under the tyranny of the sin nature has been broken. Now, it doesn't mean we cannot live in carnality, but it means that we don't have to live in carnality. That's a very important distinction. So how do we deal with the flesh? Well, we realize that I'm dead indeed to sin. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourself. That's the word legitimai. It's an accounting term. It's to consider or calculate the idea. Think a reason through is the idea. Think about your identity in Christ. And realize I don't have to live by the flesh. Christ has broken that power. I can walk now by means of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And then present your members as weapons of righteousness to God. So those three elements, and I presented it before as a stop sign. You know, we have the stop, we have yield sign, yellow, and green go. And that's a perfect analogy of how we apply these truths. All right, uh, let's take a look at operational death. Operational death means that we could live, in essence, in uh, our fellowship and also fail to produce fruit. We're in the arena of death, we could say. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 26. James 2, 26. For as a body without the spirit is dead. He didn't say non-existent, right? We know that the person's non-existent, but that body is not animated. You see a dead body, it's not animated. It's there, but it's not animated. Okay? We can be a born-again believer, but living in carnality and not produce spiritual fruit. As the body without the, uh, the the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. It doesn't mean that faith without works is non-existent, meaning that person's unsaved. That's not that's not that's not the right interpretation of this passage. Reformed theologians try to say, well, if you have no works in your life, you're unsaved because, you know, you're dead. No, it's not operational. Faith without works is not producing spiritual fruit in your life. See? That's the idea. I'm not operating a newness of life. I'm operating a carnal death. I'm in a different sphere. In essence, I think 1 John 1, 7 is saying, 
uh, verse, I think First John 1 6 is saying the same thing. Let's look at that passage. Um, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're not practicing the truth. A believer can be positionally light in the Lord and experientially walk in darkness. Okay. I'm not walking in God's truth. I'm not walking in life. The Spirit of God is not producing fruit. I'm producing the works of the flesh and its ugliness in my life. So we want to walk in a new sphere of life by living a godly life for Him and not live in operational death. Let's talk about sexual death. Uh, Romans chapter 4 and Hebrews 11 deal with that aspect of death. Romans 4.17 We have uh, the example of Abraham. Verse 17 says this, Therefore it is... um, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who, when he believed God, who gave life to the dead and called those things which do not exist as though they did. Now, life to the dead means what was dead? Well, he was unable to produce children for a period of time. Notice this. Um, verse 19 says, Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. Now, what does it mean his body was dead? Well, he wasn't able to reproduce and uh, therefore wasn't able to produce children. That's the idea. Sexual death. Um, And notice here, he didn't consider that limitation a limitation for God. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb was, you know, she wasn't a young woman anymore. <laughs> Both of them were old in age and unable to produce children. But God promised that they would. And because God promised, he believed. Notice here, he did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So when he refers to death there, he's not referring here to spiritual death or positional death or any aspect of death but sexual death unable to produce children in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 Hebrews chapter 11 verse 12 uh, let's look at uh, verse 11 because he they um this passage deals with Sarah as well. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past age, past the childbearing years, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as what? Dead. <laughs> Abraham. Him as good as dead. Sexual death. <coughs> And therefore was, was born as many as the stars of the sky, multitude, Abrahamic covenant promise, innumerable as a sand which is by the seashore. So this aspect is sexual death. Now, this shows you that when you look at death in the Bible, you have to look at the context. What aspect of death is this text referring to? 
And those are the seven various aspects of death. Now, in our text, in John 5, what aspect of death is um, Jesus referring to? And I think here is spiritual death number two. You have passed out of a state of death when you believe the gospel. He gives you eternal life. You passed out of a state of number two, spiritual death, into a state of what? Spiritual life. Having eternal life. That's the aspect of death mentioned in our current text. All right, let's go. Let's take a look at um, life. And we're going to introduce life. Um, You pass from death, that state, into a state of life. Now, what kind of life is he referring to? He's referring here to spiritual life, the new birth. And this would be equated to regeneration. And I love Dr. Walver's definition. What does it mean to be born again? It means to have eternal life. That's as simple as it gets. I'm born again. What does that mean? We think born again means I'm turned over a new leaf. I stopped sinning. I promise to commit my life to Christ. What does that mean to be born again? You hear about born again cars and born this person born again, that Hollywood star was born again. And what does that word mean? It means I have eternal life because I believe the gospel. That's what it means. Uh, because I, I, prior I was in a state of separation from God, now I have eternal life, and now I'm accepted by God. Ephesians two again contrasts the two. Uh, you hath he made alive who were what dead in trespasses and sins that verse 5 describes that uh, back to that text in Ephesians 2 I'll just read it for you Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 even when we were dead in trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved you're born again so regeneration is the impartation of eternal life. And that's the definition I have here. Impartation. God gives you eternal life. It's that simple. Titus 3.5. Classic passage on the new birth. Let's look at Titus. Titus chapter 3. Verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's not because we're good. Our good deeds that we are saved. But according to his mercy, he saved us. God giving us what we don't deserve. Through the washing of regeneration. Now again, there are certain denominations that teach what's called baptismal regeneration. I had to be baptized by water in order to be born again. If that's true, therefore a ritual saves you. We're not saved by ritual. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross. And he performs a spiritual cleansing when we believe the gospel. The washing here is a washing of our sins. It's not a physical washing. It's not a ritual. That cannot cleanse you from your sins. The priest coming by and sprinkling holy water on you cannot cleanse you from your sins. He cannot absolve your sins. Only Jesus Christ can. So no other, no amount of ritual can redeem you. But Jesus Christ can. And when you believe the gospel, he gives you eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. You are cleansed spiritually. And the Holy Spirit renovates you. 
He gives you life. The renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That having been justified by his grace, verse 7, that means having his righteousness, declared righteous, we should become heirs according to the hope, the confident certainty of eternal life. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus at that point. You are born again by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Physical birth. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. Because of physical birth, we are spiritually dead. But you know what? Because of the new birth, we have life. Once we have believed the gospel. So, once we hear the word and believe in him who has sent me, we have eternal life. And we will not come into future judgment, but we have passed out of the state of death into a permanent state of life. We are born again by God's grace. And maybe we'll look at this next week. Regeneration means to be born again. Different way of expressing it. We're a child of God. We're a child of God. We're called son, a son of God, and the Bible calls us a new creation in Christ Jesus. Those are four different ways of saying that we have eternal life. We are born again. And so the picture here of an artist's illustration of Nicodemus and Jesus, the one who came to him by night and asked about the new birth. It's by the Holy Spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the life that you provide by your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we can have confident certainty that when we die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we know that there are those who need this life. There are those who need the gospel. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So I pray, pray Father, uh, individuals who are our friends, our family members, I pray that they might hear the gospel clearly proclaimed, that you might use us to be that instrument to show them how they can pass out of a state of death into a permanent state of life by believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was a, he rose from the dead and he promises eternal life to all who place their faith in him. Help us to convey that simple message of salvation by grace to a world that is desperately needing it. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.